Let me read the scriptures that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Romans 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Romans 11:26, And in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And then our chief text this morning is Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works this is God's word thanks be to God we're going to look this morning, and we are in a series called Putting Down the Sins That We Put Up With. And this morning's sin is ungodliness. Now, I have said all along, as this is the summer of sin, um, that we're going to eradicate it. I'll just be done. I mean, by August and September, I am just going to be such a, a righteous new creature in your eyes as well. You're just not going to recognize me. No, I doubt it. Uh, we have said all along that we're going to be, this summer, we're going to be looking at sins that are not the biggies. Sins that we have been putting up with because we think, you know, that's not so bad. Or I'm just not really going to give it any attention. I've got bigger fish to fry. And so we're looking at some of the less obvious or the more subtle or the more respectable sins. And this morning, and I have said all along that this summer you are prayerfully encouraged to adopt one. Maybe yours is going to be last week where we talked about resentment. Really, ordinary anger. Resentment. Uh, an unforgiving attitude. Maybe yours is coming up when I talk about sins of the tongue. Gossip, uh, critical uh, tongue, um, you know, a slanderous tongue, or maybe a profane tongue. Maybe the sins of the tongue. Maybe that's yours. And we all can own a little bit of it, but I'm asking that prayerfully that you will adopt one. You'll say, right there, Doctor, Holy Spirit, that's where I submit and I surrender, and I pray that you will change this, eradicate this, heal this, that I might sin no more in this area. Just one, just one. But this morning, ungodliness, ungodliness is something that, that will touch all of us because we all are ungodly to some degree. But now I'm interpreting, I'm, I'm interpreting ungodliness as an attitude 
it's not simply irreverent actions or irreligious actions, it's impiety. It's, a, um, it's not being aware that we're always in the presence of God. And so this morning, it's like, um, as Paul said there in Romans, he says, you know, he mentions the two, he says, there's ungodliness and unrighteousness. And this letter to Titus is written to the congregation. And so he's talking to Christians when he says, renounce ungodliness. In other words, turn your back on it. I renounce you, turn your back on it. And he says the way that we're able to do that in Titus here is in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then down in verse uh, 14, he says, he spells it out, gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to claim us as his own people, that he is now leading and, and molding and crafting as his sons and daughters. So in other words, if we're going to turn our back on ungodliness, renounce it. The power and the ability to keep my back turned to ungodliness is coming because I'm aware of God. I live my life before the face of God and in His presence. I'm not simply aware of Him on Sunday morning, but I'm aware of Him when I'm bathing the baby. I'm aware of Him when I'm driving in the, the circle, in Park Circle. You know, I like to... That's where I like to dismiss God. And I become, I, I, I don't turn, I, I turn and I face ungodliness then. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you're idiots. Why, you know, you get in and unless you're turning within two exits, you got to get in the center lane. I had a police officer. I had a police officer and he was going all the way around. And I'm like, you're, you're law enforcement. You ought to know that. Okay, so, but if I'm going to turn my back on that, I've got to face God and to see his face and to behold him in beauty will it'll, it'll cause me to retain my gaze and it will melt me and mold me and transform me. So that's where, that's the theme this morning is to say if this is something that you struggle with then you need to turn your back to ungodliness and face, face God, face godliness, face God and see his beauty. And that power, that power will melt you and transform you so that you won't look back to ungodliness. You've left that. But now remember, I am talking about something that all of God's people struggle with. All of us leave here and it immediately begins to happen. Our focus and our attention and our thoughts of God begin to wane. By Monday morning, or certainly Monday in the workplace, all thoughts of God have been compartmentalized and put away until perhaps a private devotion or until I hear a Christian song. Oh, there's, there's little bits. But I find myself in the workplace suddenly becoming like everybody else. Because why? Because I'm not living my life aware that God is present and that I'm in his presence. Okay. Dollar bill. 
on the back of a dollar bill is a pyramid. And then there's a smaller point of the pyramid that's, there's a space, and then there's an image on that small little point of the pyramid. Who can tell me what it is? It's the all-seeing eye. Well, what is that about? The all-seeing eye. Who is the all-seeing eye? Is it like Sauron, you know, in the, <laughs> the eye, you know? That's what we tend to think about when we think about always being in God's presence. See, God is always aware of us. He's gaga about you. If you're a Christian this morning, I mean, if you're not a believer, I don't, you don't know what you're missing. I mean, I, to be adopted by God, and he doesn't just call you servant, he doesn't just call you friend, he calls you his child now and forever. And, and to, to, to be under that gaze, always, it's not the, you know, just an eye that's always saying, oh, messing up again, oh, right there, oh. It's more like in the heavens, God is always looking upon us And through Jesus Christ, who is interceding, who's at his right hand, he's always bragging about us. Those are my babies. Those are mine. Oh, and Holy Spirit, they're not aware of this, but I want to work on ungodliness in their life because it's destroying them. They're living life unawares of me. They're they're living life dependent upon their own resources and their own energies. And they're living life and they're starting to conform back into old ways like those that do not have me as their God. And I have so much more in store for them. In other words, when we don't turn our back on ungodliness and turn to a father and his beauty and his love, then we live like orphans rather than children in the presence of a father. Okay, there's two things that I want to show you because it is a sermon short. The second one is going to be really, really practical. So I'm going to spend most of the the time remaining on uh, how, you know, the resolve that we have to actually begin to face this ungodliness, this impiety, this just disregard of God in the course of our week. You have to resolve in order, you have to resolve to change and in order to be able to focus and begin to see him and arrest your attention, you know, to have him arrest your attention so that he's more on your mind, he's more in your thoughts, so that in every situation or issue or trial you encounter, he's right there with you. Mother Teresa of Avila. Now she is, she, Teresa of Avila is the original Teresa and then Mother Teresa of Calcutta took her name, her matron name from Teresa of Avila. But Teresa of Avila, an old saint, used to say to all of her disciples, as it were, in the, the nuns, the sisters that, that she was mother superior to, she used to say, Myra cute Myra, Myra cute Myra, see God seeing you. See God seeing you. And she, because she understood the gospel, when she encouraged them to see God seeing them, she said, when he sees you, be mindful that when you see him, his face, his beauty, he's smiling. He's not angry. He's not clucking his tongue. There they go again. He's not. 
He's looking upon us now. If you're a Christian, He looks through the life of Christ that is imputed. It's transplanted. It's put on you and in you. Life of Christ is now put on you and in you. So your sins are forgiven. And the life of Christ is now applied to you. But why, Paul would say, do we want to have anything to do with ungodliness? Why are we not more mindful of God? Why do we not live our life under His face and His gaze? Why are we not more mindful that that all-seeing eye looks upon us and looks upon us with a Father's heart and a Father's love and then we turn back to ungodliness and we're just unmindful of Him? He's always mindful of us. How can we be more mindful of Him? That is to know and that is to begin to comprehend that that face is a face of beauty and the beauty is, is His glory and His glory is His compassion to us that do not deserve it. My favorite character, talking about resolving, my favorite character in the Chronicles of Narnia well, actually, I'll take that back. My favorite character is Puddle Glum. But my next favorite character is in the Dawn Treader, and it's Reepicheep. Now, Reepicheep is a kind of a large mouse rodent, and he has a long tail, and he's, he's, got, a, he's got a hat with a huge uh, you know, floral bouquet in it, and he is, he's got a sword beside him. And he's on the voyage of the Dawn Treader. He's on this ship, the Dawn Treader, but he's on there not simply for the adventures that the Dawn, Dawn Treader will have. He's there because it's going east. And when he was a small, uh, I guess he'd be a small rat, okay, child, <laughs> this was told him by his nurse, where sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet, doubt not, Reepicheep, to find all you seek, there is the utter east. And he says, I don't quite know what all of that means. But he said, the spell, the spell of that has been upon me all of my life. And so he gets on the dawn treader. And as he begins to talk to people, they realize that he is motivated and he is driven by something different than everybody else. He's driven because he wants to go to Aslan's country. And he wants to see Aslan face to face. He's, he's driven to seek that. In other words, he turns his back on his life. And it's his goal to ever move forward to the, the, the gaze, the beauty, the enrapturing presence of God. He wants to get closer and closer. And Aslan represents God in the Chronicles of Narnia. And so they're like, well, you know, the Dawn Treader only goes so far, and then once it's completed its journey, it's going to go back to Narnia. And he says, yes. He says, I'm going to ride the Dawn Treader as far as it goes east. And then I've got my coracle, which is kind of like a canoe. And he says, I've got my little coracle, and I'm going to get in that, and I'm going to go as far as I can go with it. And then when I can go no further than that, I'm going to swim. And I'm going to swim as far as I can, as far as I can, ever eastward, ever toward Aslan's country, ever toward Aslan's face. And I'm going to go as far as I can. And when I can swim no more, I'm going to die with my nose up toward the rising sun. 
Wow. While he's no reaper chief, Jonathan Edwards, at 19 years of age, began to write resolutions. He wrote 70 resolutions, and I can't read them all to you, but this man, Jonathan Edwards, is credited to being the greatest theologian and preacher, revivalist, in America, in the West. And so he is, this is well over 300 years ago, but he's the greatest one that the West has ever produced. And some people say he rivals in the world. J.I. Packer said this about Jonathan Edwards. He is God-centered, he's God-focused, he's God-intoxicated, and he's God-entranced because his every day from morning till night he sought to live in closest conscious communion with God. God-entranced. I want to live in close communion with with God. And to do that, I've got to turn my face, turn my day, turn my thoughts, turn my heart to God. And to do that, I've got to turn my back on ungodliness. I've got to turn in that all-seeing eye. There's a Father's eye upon me, and I want it on my face. I don't want it on my back. And so Jonathan Edwards wrote, and I'm going to pick a couple, and I want you to see if you can find the theme. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. In other words, he's not going to wait until the end and repent of it. He's going to live today like it's the last hour of his life. Number 17, resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Number 19, resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. Number 37, resolve to inquire every night as I'm going to bed, wherein I have been negligent, what sin I've committed, where I've denied myself, also at the end of every week, month, and year, so as to live as if it were my last hour. Number 50, resolve I will act so as I think I shall judge would have been best and most prudent when I come into the future world. In other words, I am going to live today like I would live in heaven. I'm going to live today like I would be living in the future. My walk today and my, my, my walk in fellowship and communion with God today is going to be like it's going to be in heaven. Uh, here's one of my favorites. 55. Resolved to endeavor to my utmost to act as I can think I should do if I had already seen the happiness of heaven or the torments of hell. In other words, he's saying, I am going to live today as if heaven opened to me and I caught a glimpse of my life there. And it's so worth it. It's, it's, you know, it's the goal, it's on my life that I'm going to turn to the east as if it's promised to me and I can go there. Look back at Titus. Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not there yet, 
but we are there. If you're a Christian, the promise is upon your life that you will find what you are even now feeling. The, you, it's upon you. It's, it's different. It's like the, the spell of it, as Reaper Chief would say, has been on me all my life to go there. Now that you're a new creature through Jesus Christ, the promise of heaven is yours. Let that, as it were, cause you and help you to turn your back on ungodliness to begin already to go where you are bound to go. I think we compartmentalize. We, we say, okay, I, I worship on Sunday and I have, a, I have a little bit of Christianity in the course of the, the workplace and in my marriage and in my relationships with other people in my friendships, but not too much. And what happens is, is we begin to lack integrity and we become ungodly while at the same time we're godly. We're godly in that we're Christians and we're new creatures. But we're ungodly in that we live like a, an orphan. We live like we don't have a God. Start living, start living the life that you were designed to live. Always aware now, how can we be aware? Okay. I've got a couple of things that I want to tick off here. Number one, apply the gospel. Verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. Apply the gospel to whatever the ungodly attitude is. Apply the gospel to whatever the ungodly behavior is that might stem from ungodly attitudes. If I don't renounce ungodliness, if I don't turn my back to it, if I continue to, to if I don't renounce it, it's going to overcome me by actions. But apply the gospel. Every day remind yourself, remind yourself of who you are. You are, you have the life of Christ on you now. You're you, you are so valued that he would die for you. He boasts of you. He brags. You know why we won't sin in heaven? I mean, we're going to have free will, completely free will in heaven. Okay? Why won't we sin? I mean, is there a danger that we'll do the whole uh, Garden of Eden thing? I mean, Satan, he was there in the presence of God. He was an angel. And he, I mean, he had all of heaven and God right there. He was in the face of God. And he sinned. Why won't we sin? Because when we get to heaven, there's something called, I call it the beatific vision, but then I'm corrected by the beatific vision. But there's something called the beatific vision, which means that when we see God, that in that look, when we finally come into the presence of God and everything, every obstacle is removed, even this life, and we come into God's presence and we see him, we won't be able to sin against that. Because in that look, we're going to be so... We're just, we would fly apart out of, out, of, out of love and attraction to that, out of reverence and out of awe, because we'll see in that look everything that He's ever done for us. We'll know it in a moment. We'll know that we're so, so, so incredibly loved. We'll know that, and we'll say, I can't sin against that. That's what you've got to apply every day, to start thinking about, you know, who is God, and who am I in relationship to Him, and how can I do this 
when I have this falling upon me, that look. Depend on the Holy Spirit. That's the word for training there, verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness because as we begin to become aware of of the gospel in our life that we're so dearly loved and completely forgiven, the Holy Spirit works that in. And He works it into our marriage. He works it into our friendships. He works it into the workplace. He works it into anxiety, fear, worry. He works it in even to where we're unbelieving. The Holy Spirit is, is like the wind. We, we, we depend upon Him in order to move us forward in, to become more sons and daughters that we we're meant to be. Number three, accept your responsibility. Okay? Ungodliness touches us all. Are you willing to hear Paul say, renounce ungodliness? Renounce indifference to God. Put it away. Turn your back. Are you willing to accept responsibility? Number four, identify specific sin. Here is um, Rosemary Miller in her book, From Fear to Freedom, is talking to her husband, Jack, about their daughter, Barbara. Now, he was, for years, Westminster Seminary professor. Then later, he became a pastor, and then later became a missionary and founded a large mission organization. Um, and yet their daughter is a prodigal. And they have had, they've had huge issues. She's at one point, she moved out of the home into the home of a, of a drug dealer who she would come back and forth uh, back home because she would just be so sick in order to dry out from uh, the crazy drugs that they were doing. And then she just, she had a lot of, she was really breaking their hearts. And Rosemary Miller came to Jack and said, we're not praying right. We've got to pray. We've got to pray for, for Barbara. And he said, what do you mean? We haven't been doing that? No, I don't think so. Not in this clear way as Matthew 18 talks about partnering together when we pray. Jack, we often pray for her in a general way like God save Barbara from her sins. Bring Barbara to Christ but we don't pray against specific sins and bondages and in partnership with that promise. We then discussed her besetting sins as deception, lying, excuse-making, and sensualism. What, where you are going to begin to turn your back and say, no, I have resolved, I am going to, live my life under the face, the beautiful face of God. If I'm going to do that, I've got to turn my back on ungodliness. And to be able to do that, I'm turning my back very specifically in certain areas. Can you identify specific sins in your life? Better yet, can you identify things that trigger that sin? For instance, lying. I can, I can struggle... Now, I, I like to think that it's, it's not so bad. It's not really lying. It's exaggerating. Right? It's just preacher's license to exaggerate, okay? I'm dramatic. No, it's lying. Well, that's the surface sin. Beneath that is people-pleasing. I want you to like me. And so I'm willing to twist it to think that you'll listen or you'll give me attention or you'll give me a compliment. See? Ooh. 
this is where it gets tough. But if I'm going to deal with ungodly, if I'm going to live my life in the, under the face of God, aware of his presence, I want to be truthful. I want to resolve to be truthful. And, and living there, knowing how he accepts me, I don't have to have the acceptance of others. But I need to understand what triggers it and what the sin is to confess it and to move on. Identify it and do work. Learn appropriate scriptures. There, there are certain uh, scriptures that will be very, very helpful. Uh, it can be anything from the Psalms, you know, to, to, to the New Testament, to the Ulti- any, any scripture that can help you to get a handle on, as I would say, applying the gospel over and over again in your life. Uh, practice prayer. Um, you know, sometimes, hypocrites don't really pray. In other words, if you're back, if you're totally indifferent to God, then you're really not going to pray because you, you just, you're bothered by it. A good test this morning is um, how do you feel when I tell you that right now and forever, your, God sees everything. He sees your heart. He sees your life. He knows everything. You're always under his gaze. If that is a troubling thought to you, then you may only be following him and responding to him out of fear. You think he's mad at you. But if you see him as always gazing upon you as his child, as his beauty, with the life of Christ upon you, then you're going to pray differently. And you're going to respond differently. Practice prayer. And then finally, give permission for others to board the boat. Give permission for others to come into your life and to help you to say no to certain either ungodly attitudes or ungodly behaviors. And I haven't been very specific because, again, it all starts with just being unawares of God in the course of our week, in the majority of our hours. Let me close with this passage, and it's, it's a good one to keep in mind. Uh, Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's almost a a reap a cheap prayer from the psalmist saying, there's one thing that all my life I'm going to seek, and that's to see and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and in his temple. Well, how are we going to do it? I've given us some steps uh, that we're to employ. Feel good? Great? Man, I'm ready to go out and do it? Or I feel about that high. Well, the good news is that Jesus Christ, it tells us in the scripture, is our great deliverer. In Romans 11, 26, and 27, Paul speaks of a deliverer who's come, and he will conquer, and he will deliver his people from all ungodliness. And it says, he will deliver us from the ungodliness, even the the house of Jacob, as it were. He's saying, "From, from those even that are like Jacob, They're in God's family, the line of Abraham, and yet they live conning other people. And he's saying, I will deliver them 
from all ungodliness. And how does he do that? When we behold what he did for us, when we behold what it accomplished, that he should give his life for our life, such that his life now becomes our 